long did it take to become an orthopedic surgeon? It took me about 14 years of uh, schooling total. <laughs> BMI, TMI? <laughs> BMI is body mass index. It's a calculation of, um, it's a calculation of uh, your weight and your height. Do you do Charcot reconstruction? So Charcot is when all your nerves are damaged so your joint can get destroyed. If that happens, then, um, you know, when the nerves are damaged, it can be due to um, a couple different things. You know, one of the things that can be done, uh, happen from is from diabetes. So, you know, one is get the diabetes under control if that's uh, what caused it. The other one can be hereditary. And so if you have Charcot from uh, hereditary um, or CMT, um, it depends where you're having it. Most commonly it's in the foot. I have seen Charcot knees, but, uh, I don't do the foot and ankle reconstructions. My partner does that. Um, I will do knee reconstruction though. Any advice on knee pain when squatting? Um, it depends what kind of squat you're doing. Uh, if you're trying to put a lot of weight on your back and do a one rep max, then I probably recommend against that. Um, you could use a brace, you could do what's called a box squat, which is a little less stressful on the knees. And so, uh, those are all things that can help if you're having a lot of pain or just stop squatting altogether and do uh, lower impact activities. <clears throat> so for those of you who don't, who don't know, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I do mostly hip and knee replacements. Um, I had a plica removed. It was the worst pain I ever had in my life and MRI, they kept seeing nothing. Sorry to hear that. Um, hopefully you got better after you had the plica removed. Sometimes the MRI is not perfect. Uh, really the best thing is going in there with a camera and looking at the knee. That's kind of the best solution to, to diagnosing something. What's a common sign for gout in the hand? Um, well, the most common place for gout is in the big toe. Um, in the hand or big toe, it's usually a red, hot, painful, swollen joint. You can get these depositions called gouty tophi. You can have high uric acid levels. It's more common in people who drink a lot of alcohol or eat a lot of meat. Um, and so there's different diet things that can contribute to it. And so you could check your uric acid levels. Um, once gout gets really bad, it will go to other places like the hands. It can be a very painful condition. But the goal is really to control your uric acid levels and then use anti-inflammatories when you can. <clears throat> I had knee replacement surgery September 2021, and now when I exercise, my knee will get stiff. Sorry to hear that. Um, you know, uh, was there a point where you weren't stiff would be the question. It sounds like you're, you're almost a year out. So people can see improvements even after a year of, of knee replacement surgery the muscles everything has to get stronger so hopefully it continues to get less and less stiff can i fix a foot drop um if you have a foot drop then it depends why it happened if it happened from a nerve injury and the nerve was cut it's unlikely that it's going to come back so most of the time the answer to that is no now, if it just happened and it hasn't been a year or a year and a half from the uh, foot drop injury, then um, there is a chance that you can. There is a chance that it can still get better. How concerning is no cartilage in the knee? Uh, the cartilage is a shock absorber of the knee. It doesn't have a good blood supply. When the cartilage is gone, it doesn't come back very well. So, 
Um, it depends on your symptoms. A lot of people have minimal cartilage in their knee and they do okay. But if a lot of the cartilage is gone, then that can be a big issue and lead to a knee replacement. Do I see many patients with osteochondromas? Yes, I have treated patients with osteochondromas. There's two different types of osteochondromas. So for those of you who don't know, osteochondroma is a bone tumor with a uh, there's different types of bone tumors. An osteochondroma usually has a cartilage cap on it, and it's usually a benign bone tumor. Now, there are certain people who can have multiple hereditary osteochondromatosis, which means they develop these bony cartilage bumps all over their body. And uh, usually it's an orthopedic oncologist who is treating those, and it depends what type and how you're taking it out. Um, but if they're painful, meaning if they bump into nerves or muscles or affect those areas, then the uh, step would be to get it removed when they start affecting joints or nerves. <clears throat> How would a doctor break a fusion site? Well, we would probably take a saw and uh, cut it. <laughs> we would take a saw and cut it or use something called osteotomes. So osteotomes are the equivalent of chisels and um, basically just tap, tap, tap and break the bone and then try and change it the way we want it. Can children grow, grow out of kneecaps popping? Sometimes when your growth plates close, your bones change. So, you know, if you have, um, it depends. Uh, sometimes you can, sometimes you can. Your body changes though as you grow and as your bones fuse and your growth plates close. What's the best trauma company? I would say the most, like the most, um, used trauma company is not Stryker, it's Synthes. Um, but Stryker is uh, a common company that has a lot of trauma uh, stuff. You know, they, they do have a lot of trauma plates. Um, but there's a bunch of different companies that you can use. And um, but I would say Synthes is probably the most tried and true trauma uh, plating systems. Pain in the vastus lateralis after a double hip replacement surgery six months later. Um, you know, six months is double hip surgery is a, at the same exact time is a big recovery. Um, I usually stagger them, meaning I do one at a time and uh, it lowers the complication rate. But if you're six months out, you're still healing. You know, it can take up a year to recover if you're having it may not be the vastus lateralis. It may actually be your IT band, meaning you're having IT band syndrome. Um, that's a more common diagnosis than, than quad or vastus lateralis pain in that area after, after double hip replacement. <clears throat> Let's see, if you guys have questions, drop them in the chat. I'll try and get to them. I have pain from epidurals between my vertebrae. Um, usually the epidurals are supposed to do the opposite. They usually inject like a, a, um, a steroid medication there. And so that's supposed to actually, uh, make things less painful. Um, so it's odd that you have that. We'll get a little music in here. All right. Hip pain for years. Um, sorry to hear that. I would probably get an x-ray, get a workup from your doctor, make sure you don't have any arthritis or anything like that.
How long can I have an internal fixation before removal becomes an issue? It's on my distal tib fib. So usually if we're taking plates out, we're taking the plates out maybe a year after you fix the bone. Um, because at that time we know the bones have fully healed and um, you don't want to take the plates out too soon because you could be at risk for a refracture. So you want the bones to be fully healed. And then after you get it out, you usually want the bone holes to fill in. So that can take a little while as well. What type of ACL reconstruction do I do? I do? Well, I would say that the most um, common one is a, uh, is a bone patella bone, but uh, people are using quad tendon, people are using hamstring, people are using cadaver. And so for me, I send uh, all my ACL reconstructions over to my sports partner. I do mostly the hip and knee replacements. So after the ACLs fail, after they develop arthritis, that's when um, I do the hip and knee replacements and take care of them. Thank you for the follow, appreciate it. I had a hip replacement 14 months ago and pain in the back of my thigh, is that normal? Pain in the back of the thigh is not usually where the hip replacement is. Uh, the hip socket, when you feel that or you feel pain from that, you feel it in the groin, in the front. Um, so it's usually in the front of the knee, and, or sorry, front of the hip. Um, if you're feeling things in the back, like down the back of the thigh, that may be from sciatica or lower back issues. It may be worthwhile to get your lumbar spine lift up. Thanks for the follows, appreciate it. I do have a, uh, for those of you who don't know, I also have a Discord channel where I'm uh, um, trying to grow that as a medical community and um, people drop by, drop their x-rays, drop questions in there from time to time. Um, how common are derotational osteotomies in both femurs? Um, I'd say it's more rare, but it's usually done in children. It's not usually done in adults. You wanna do it before the growth plates are closed. So it gives you a little bit of time to uh, recover and uh, you're still growing, so your bones are still very, we call plastic, meaning they're still changing. Thanks for being an orthosurgery tech, I appreciate it. You know, we need you, so thank you. Do I do spinal fusions? No, I mostly do hip and knee replacement operations. I'm having trouble with a super tight IT band and hurting my same glute recommendations. Usually for IT band issues or, um, or uh, IT bands very close to the glute. Um, we'll try anti-inflammatories, we'll try uh, physical therapy, we'll try uh, conservative measures. If that doesn't work, we'll sometimes do a cortisone injection. Had a shoulder replacement, got MRSA. And uh, I had to get replaced, a spacer, and put in the IV antibiotics. I'm very sorry to hear that. One of the worst complications you can have is a joint infection. MRSA is one of the best, uh, one of the worst bugs to actually have. It's harder to treat, harder to clear. It's an overall worse prognosis. Um, you know, hopefully they get the spacer out, they clear the infection, and they get a new shoulder replacement in. I'm a MA, medical assistant for an amazing total knee, total hip surgeon here in Oregon. That's awesome. Um, you know, treat, treat your uh, hip and knee surgeons well. Hopefully they do the same and treat you well. But sounds like uh, you have an enjoyable job and that's good. Uh, you know, I work with MAs and scribes as well. Um, you know, joint replacement patients are very complex. There's a lot that goes in pre and post operatively with them. So medical assistants are incredibly and are crucial to the process since... Uh, you know, the surgeon can't be everywhere at once. So when 
see. So when you start medical school, you want to become orthopedic. You have to learn everything. So you actually learn very little orthopedics in medical school. Orthopedics is really taught in orthopedic residency. In medical school, you're really just learning the bread and butter basics of medicine. And it's very, very, almost no orthopedics in medical school. So really, you just first start learning orthopedics when you get into residency. Um, and what, what little from rotations you did uh, in medical school. Do you know what can be done to alleviate foot pain from metatarsalgia? So metatarsalgia could be for a couple different reasons. It usually means there's too much pressure on the on that area. It could be, um, hey, what's up from California, Portugal? Thanks for joining in. Um, it could be how your foot is positioned, meaning if you're too much on one side or the other or too much on the toes, um, that can create metatarsalgia. Um, sometimes there's metatarsal pads. Sometimes we'll have people use inserts. Sometimes we'll have people modify shoe wear. I would probably switch to maybe a supportive sneaker or something that's going to unload those metatarsals. Um, most of the time you're not needing surgery. Their surgery could only be done in very, very, uh, we call uh, recalcitrant cases, meaning that the metatarsalgia doesn't go away after everything we do. Um, so in rare circumstances, we may do an injection, but that's usually not happening. It's just usually modifying shoe wear and pads. <clears throat> hey, what's up? Thanks for joining. Um, what could be done for a trigger finger? So, oh, thanks for this, this heart. I appreciate it. Um, trigger finger is when every time you um, bend your fingers or make a fist, your finger gets stuck. So you go to straighten them out and everything goes except the one and then it gets there and then it pops. So that's trigger finger, very common. Um, the first step to treat a trigger finger, um, if it's been going on for a while is we'll do a cortisone injection right over the pulley. So we'll take some cortisone and we'll put it in right here. This is where your tendon that goes through your finger is getting stuck, um, when you get a trigger finger. And so most of the time a cortisone injection for a trigger finger works pretty well. Um, sometimes we'll do it two, maybe even three times, um, but then if it's getting more than two times and you're still getting it and it's not lasting very long, um, then we would do a surgical release where we just make a small incision right here, go down to that pulley and release the pulley where it's getting stuck. What fellowship did I do? I did a uh, orthopedic uh, hip and knee fellowship. Um, I love hip and knee replacements. It's uh, uh, surgical operations are the best because um, you know, patients come in, they can't walk, they have arthritis, you give them a hip or knee replacement and they get better. And um, doing things like that instead of like treating long-term uh, medical conditions is more enjoyable for me. I like to see patients get better quickly. And um, hip and knee is very, uh, every patient's a little bit different, but the overall procedures have a lot of similarities. Um, so you get really good at these uh, two operations. And so that's why I love doing hip and knee replacements. Um, do I do the direct interior total hip replacement? Yes, I do the direct interior total hip replacement. Do I know what multiple hereditary exostosis is? Yep, multiple, uh, MHE, it's a condition where you develop all these basically osteochondrom, uh, osteochondromas all over your body. <clears throat> if it's really bad, um, and you have all the, uh, oh, thanks for subscribing. I think you may be my first subscriber. Let's see, I'm gonna give a shout out to you. Nona Beniz, thanks for subscribing. Appreciate it. I think you're my first subscriber. Um, welcome to the channel. So 
If you uh, have MHE, it's a uh, mutation and it leads to these osteochondromas that can be all over your body. And if you have those, then some of there's a higher risk if you have that for an osteochondroma turning into cancer. So you keep an eye on them. If there's any ones that's pushing on the nerve or the muscles are very, very painful, uh, you'll get them taken out by an orthopedic, um, an orthopedic oncologist. Opinions on, uh, oh, look at that. You got a little uh, tag next to you. That's pretty cool. <laughs> um, yeah, no problem. Um, I love it. I love getting on here, answering your guys' questions. Um, you know, if I'm not live and you have a pertinent question, I have a Discord channel too where uh, people have been dropping questions in there and I've just been answering them. Um, do you have PAs with you in surgery? Yes, I do have PAs in surgery, and I'll talk also talk about the meds I gave after total hip. So, my PAs are uh, physician. They changed the name, so it's physician associates. Um, my PA is Kelly. She actually just had her make. Uh, she just started a uh, a TikTok uh, account. I think I tagged her in a couple of videos back, but um, she's great. She's with me for all my hip and knee replacement operations. She also helps. Uh, see patients, talk to patients pre post-operatively. Um, and, uh, she, uh, she helps me with everything, especially surgically. So, and managing patients pre and post-operatively. The thing is, if you run a really big practice or you're doing 500 joint replacements a year, then, you know, you need assistance. And one of those is a physician associate. Um, and then what do I use for pain medications after total hip or total knee replacement? So I have a very specific pain regimen um, that works for about 95% of people. Um, I do a thousand milligrams of Tylenol three times a day. I do 200 milligrams of Celebrex twice a day. I do Tramadol, which is 50 milligrams four times a day. So Tramadol is a low level narcotic. And then I have the patients have oxycodone available, um, five milligrams every two, uh, or two to four times a day. Um, and they can double up on those medications if needed. I would say 98 percent of the time that's usually pretty good and patients don't need higher pain pain requirements besides that the other thing that I do is I do a more minimally invasive procedure where I'm uh, going doing the procedure between the muscles or not cutting a lot of muscle or not cutting a lot of bone and that also helps with a, a quicker more rapid recovery and not needing as much anesthetic or medication on board I had a total knee replacement surgery would you uh, recommend using the Salagen for the scar. Um, yes, I would. So if you go to my uh, bio, it's matthewharbmd.com slash links. And you go to my Amazon store, there's a medication, it's called uh, Biocornium. It's a, it'll link you right to it. It's, um, it's about $20 on Amazon. It's a silicone gel. It has SPF built into it. But patients who use that do really well. You use it for about three to six months after the operation. It, it does pretty well. So I would check that out. That's on my Amazon uh, shopping list, Biocornium. There's a whole section on scar, uh, scar creams. I'm on the list for a new hip. Um, you know, uh, on the list, you know, my question would be, what, what does that mean? Uh, if you're in other countries, you know, I've heard... So being on the list means you're waiting like a year to three years. Um, but, uh, you know, here uh, in the U.S. or certain parts, you can usually get a hip replacement within hip or knee in two to three months. I had a total hip replacement. I was in horrific pain. I'm very sorry to hear that. Um, 
you know, I'm unsure uh, what happened or if you had the appropriate pain meds or appropriate what we call periarticular injections, meaning I inject around the hip. Um, at the time of the operation, I do the operation under spinal anesthesia, which helps with overall pain control. And so those are all things that can help. So excited for my total hip in two re weeks, ready to be pain-free. I wish you a very quick, fast recovery. I have really good guides on my website. You should check them out just to, uh, um, you know, it would, it would help you get uh, more prepared for recovery. <clears throat> OCDs of the knee, recovery after surgery. So OCDs is an osteochondral defect. It depends what kind of osteochondral defect you have. And, meaning, is it just a free-floating one? Is there uh, edema behind it? Is it a bigger one? You know, what are you having? Are you having a, a uh, microfracture procedure? Are you having a OATS, which is a cartilage transfer procedure? The recoveries can be a di little bit different between those. So hopefully everything goes well. Hopefully you heal up just fine after your OCD. Sometimes we can retrograde drill, meaning doing a drill from the other side and putting um, a, uh, a, uh, a drill um, through and getting it. <clears throat> when do you decide to upgrade weight-bearing status? I let all my patients be weight-bearing and tolerated immediately after, uh, after a uh, procedure. I have osteopoikilosis. <laughs> that's a um, that's a rare one. Um, you know, that's a uh, more more uh, rare disease. Um, hopefully, you're doing fine. Hopefully, you don't have a lot of fractures or any uh, too many issues. If you do, um, you know, it can be really difficult. Give me your website slowly. Um, it's MatthewHarbMD.com/slash/links. So it's also in my bio. So if you go to my profile in the top corner, click on it, go to my bio, it'll like, you just click it and it takes you straight to the links. And you can find scar cream there, you can find handouts there. Hey Anna, uh, by the way, uh, I made you a moderator. <laughs> Since you're always on my live streams, um, I made you a moderator so you, <laughs> you have control if anyone gets, gets too rowdy. Uh, They didn't start my DOs until I was 20, uh, very late. Oh, your, your osteotomies. And then uh, at 42, I had a total knee replacement. Um, yeah, I think, um, you know, osteotomies, they're trying to prevent um, deformities or issues when you're older, trying to prevent needing a hip or knee replacement. But we've come a long way with hip and knee replacements. And, um, you know, I would say things like osteotomies for um, bony alignment uh, issues are probably being done less and less because a lot of the times if you have those issues and you do develop arthritis, you can correct the deformity or the uh, knee alignment at the same time that you do the, the uh, knee replacement. And you can do things um, and, uh, and correct all that through the joint. <clears throat> After four surgeries, a staph infection in my right hand, how do I deal best with nerve pain? Um, nerve pain could be a big issue. Um, hopefully you didn't develop what's called a chronic regional pain syndrome or CRPS. That's when things get very hypersensitive. Um, they do have vitamin treatments, meaning for that vitamin C, high dose can be helpful. Um, seeing a nerve specialist, like a pain management specialist, they can sometimes do nerve desensitization procedures which can be helpful. Gabapentin is a nerve medication we'll sometimes use. Um, there's other neuro, uh, uh, like tricyclic antidepressant medications sometimes help with um, 
with uh, nerve pain, but there's a bunch of things that the pain management specialists can do to try and desensitize those nerves and try and um, try and get you back to where you were before and try and get, get a lot of the pain out of your hand. Let's see, osteoporosis, 60 degree scoliosis, thoughts, 15 year old, medically fragile female. Um, you know, you say medically fragile, I would, um, my question would be, you know, um, long longevity, like, um, you know, what's the, what's life, overall life expectancy, if you're going to live into 30, 40 years old and 15, um, you know, and you're not fully wheelchair bound, meaning you're walking, um, and you have 60 degree scoliosis curve, then the treatment would be a fusion. Because the problem is, if that curve progresses, you're worse off later in life. So, um, you know, usually curves over 60 degrees that are at risk for progression, which means if you're 15, um, may not be done growing yet. Growth plates may not be fused. Um, it could progress. So, um, probably surgery. I, 23 total DO. So 23 rotational osteotomies. That's, that's insane. Um, yeah, that's a lot of, that's a lot of surgery. Um, you know, at that point, it's like, you know, that's one of the things. The, the rotational osteotomy is one of the big problems is, you know, you need the bone to heal and no surgery is without risks. And, you know, we, we've become very good at mitigating the risks from hip and knee replacements. So that's why, you know, osteotomies are probably becoming less and less. And we're just, you know, if you're young, if you're in your 20s and your 30s, or your growth plates are fused and you're joints are bad we're just doing replacements because they're durable they give a good quality of life do you have any experience with spondylolisthesis at the l5 s1 trying to avoid surgery stage two um so if you have spondylolisthesis it means you have a slip for those of you who don't know it there's all these big medical words we use for the lumbar spine um it depends if your slip is causing nerve or motor dysfunction so um, many people have what we call spondy and do just fine. They live their life with a spondy. Um, you know, it depends on how degenerative it is and if you're having symptoms, meaning if you have nerve or motor dysfunction, if you have bowel or bladder issues, if you have balance issues, then we would do probably a fusion for the spondy. If you just have chronic back pain, you could try things like a nerve injection. Um, but uh, fusion would only be for if you fail all conservative treatment. Do you have any experience with accessory navicular surgery uh, with splitting the tendon instead of removing? Um, yes, I do have, uh, I do have um, experience with that. So I've done, you know, I've done all orthopedic surgery, meaning I've done foot surgeries, I've done back surgeries, I've done orthopedic tumor surgeries. It's not what I do now, but I, have, I do have experience with all that stuff. So, um, you know, if the accessory navicular is a problem, a lot of the times... Uh, one of the solutions is either cutting it out and reattaching the t tendon or um, there's other methods where you can split the tendon and try and put it somewhere else um, but basically into the full navicular or into somewhere where you're getting better fixation and the goal is to try and avoid that pain from that accessory navicular so um, that is one option if you're having kind of chronic pain from a uh, navicular fracture uh, accessory navicular and many people with accessory naviculars can have pain there so the best, the most common thing that I've done with the accessory navicular is I've uh, removed it and reinserted the tendon through it. 
Can you describe septic arthritis? I'm looking to do an undergrad research paper on it. So septic arthritis is when you get an infection in your joint. Um, so there's different types of arthritis, like osteoarthritis is wear and tear arthritis. Rheumatoid arthritis is an autoimmune arthritis, but septic arthritis means a bacteria made it into your joint. Now, how can a bacteria make it into your joint? There's a couple different ways. One, it can be directly inoculated, meaning let's say someone stabbed you with a knife in the knee, then your knee's dirty. Uh, and you get septic arthritis. Um, you know, if you got shot in the knee, you could get septic arthritis from that. There's hematogenous spread, meaning uh, it comes from your blood and goes to your knee. Um, and those are common, the two most common ways. Now, how does hematogenous spread happen? You could get it from an infection at somewhere else in your body, or we have uh, bacteria in our body, meaning there's a lot of bacteria in our mouth, there's bacteria in our gut. Um, if somehow that bacteria makes it to the knee, you could get, a, especially if you're um, the other thing that matters are patient factors. So is the uh, host or the uh, patient immunocompromised? Meaning do they have severe diabetes? Do they have HIV? Do they have autoimmune disorders? Are they on chronic immunosuppression? If they're all on all those things or any of those things, um, then they're at a risk. Uh, their immune system doesn't work as well. If their immune system doesn't work as well, it makes them more prone to septic arthritis. And then there's septic arthritis for you know, what we call periprosthetic joint infection, meaning those same thing, either direct inoculation or hematogenous spread could happen in a um, periprosthetic, uh, meaning a joint that's already been replaced or a joint that's already been operated on. And that's kind of the rundown on, uh, on septic arthritis. Hopefully that's helpful. We test things. So the best way to test for septic arthritis, we'll get a test, blood test called an ESR CRP. And we'll stick a needle in the joint and we'll check the cell count. Usually if the cell count's above 50,000, it's a septic joint. That's how we diagnose it. We'll send uh, the fluid off for cultures and crystals and uh, cell count and with differential and uh, gram stain to check for bacteria. So hopefully you recorded all this. And if not, I'm gonna put, I'll post this video on my, uh, on my uh, Spotify channel uh, later so you can listen to it again. Just mark, mark the time down. <laughs> I think I started at eight, so. Your website's super helpful and easy to use. Thank you. Um, I appreciate that. That means a lot to me. You know, I put a lot of effort into that. It's a great resource for people who are undergoing uh, hip and knee replacement surgeries. Um, so if you go uh, patient resources and then I think it's educational materials, you'll find the, the guides. <clears throat> How does a bulging disc differ from a herniated disc? They're pretty much the same. Um, those terms are used interchangeably. You know, if it's really bad, you may tend to call it a herniated disc. If it's mild, you may call it a bulging disc. But technically, you know, a disc that is bulging has herniated a little bit. <laughs> I love this, this star. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, I guess there's a subscriber option, but uh, uh, you, get the little, you get the little tag next to your name, which is pretty cool. Um, can chiropractors help straighten scoliosis? Um, the answer, the kind of quick answer to that is no. Um, there are some certain, so we've gotten a lot better at treating kind of mild to moderate scoliosis. Uh, there are therapy methods that can prevent progression. There is also some special bracing methods that can prevent progression um, and even correct a little bit. Um, but a chiropractor is probably not gonna be trained in those specific scoliosis methods. Um, so it's usually a combination of bracing and therapy and then 
if your curve is like within the, let's say 20 to 40 degree range, a lot of the times with bracing and, uh, the, and the uh, therapy, you can reduce those. Thank you for all the uh, follows. I appreciate it. Double taps, likes, shares, they all help to support the uh, live and, and grow it. And um, I really appreciate all the support you guys have given from the channel. I, we've seen a lot of growth over the last couple months. <clears throat> if you have any questions, drop them in the chat. I'll try and get to them. Palm Beach, nice. I actually have a, I have a couple patients from uh, Palm Beach. So I have a, this like streamline of patients around the country that I've operated on. So there's a bunch from uh, Palm Beach in Florida who fly up to Washington DC um, to get, uh, who I replaced their knees on. Uh, I have a patient on here from Texas who flew in. Um, so a lot of people do travel for surgery. It's becoming more and more common. Medical tourism is becoming like this huge thing. Um, especially with like a lot of people do it for hair transplant. Like people are traveling over to, to Turkey to do, uh, to get their hair transplants for, uh, for so much cheaper. So, uh, traveling for surgery is becoming so much more common. I tore my calf about eight weeks ago. I overreached making my bed and my total knees having pain. Sorry to hear that. A lot of the times recovery from a joint replacement is not just linear. You know, you may have a setback you recover from the setback and then you improve. So, um, you know, if it's a calf strain, it should get better. You can do rest, ice, elevation, some NSAIDs. Um, do I have a lot of MHE cases? No, uh, orthopedic oncologist gets most of the MHE cases. Hey, what's up from Long Island, New York? I actually have family in Jericho, New York, and I actually uh, did my orthopedic residency up in New York. I love New York, Long Island's a great, great place. Absolutely. I've considered going out uh, to Massachusetts to Texas to meet a surgeon. No, that's great. I mean, at the end of the day, look, you're having a major operation. You probably have insurance and, you know, insurance providers are across the country now. So you can really go to wherever you feel most comfortable and to where you think you're going to get a good operation. And I think that's just taking your health care into your own hands. And it's going to be more and more common. <clears throat> I have stenosing tenosynovitis in my pinky after golf, golfing. Is there a permanent fix? Um, Anti-inflammatories or maybe a glove, maybe a wrap, maybe changing how you hold or swing your golf club, maybe actually changing the grips on your golf club. They do make a uh, small, medium, extra large grips. Sometimes a larger grip can, especially if you have, have big hands, can help. Um, and then... Uh, there's not per se a permanent fix, but if it's really bad, you had really bad tenosynovitis, we could go in there and cut out all the inflammation. Would insurance cover it if it's in a different state? Um, yeah, it depends on the uh, it depends on the insurance plan. But like, if you have United Health in Texas, you know, private insurance is accepted in Maryland. Uh, you know, United Health, Blue Cross, Blue, Blue Shield, uh, Aetna. Uh, Cigna, Care First, all of those are pretty much accepted across the country. So you usually can go anywhere in the country. <clears throat> and it's covered. And then most, most of the time, like the front desk staff or surgical schedulers, they figure all that stuff out ahead of time, you know. Um, so like, for example, when a patient travels to have surgery with me, 
Um, you know, they'll usually email me over my their x-rays first. After they email me the x-rays, we'll have a telehealth virtual visit. And then my surgical scheduler will usually give them a call and they set up everything virtually. They fly in for the day of surgery. First time we meet in person is, um, first time we uh, meet in person is uh, in the preoperative holding area. And then from there, um, we basically make sure all the questions are answered uh, and then we go through with surgery. And then they usually fly home um, about uh, three to seven days after the operation. They get physical therapy here. <clears throat> what causes popping in the knee? So around the knee is something called a joint capsule. Let me see. So this is my uh, knee model around this knee. You can't see it, but there's a joint capsule around the knee. Um, and if there's little infoldings or what we call hypertrophy, meaning the capsule gets thickened in certain areas, as you bend, as you bend your kneecap down, you may get popping along the side of your kneecap. So it's usually when you either go from a flex to an extended position, and it's like little infoldings or buildup of tissue around the, around the side of the kneecap. I've had chondral darts on my knee with arthroscopy. We tried to avoid surgery, but it didn't work. Um, the chondral darts are more kind of, uh, you know, it's an innovative procedure uh, to replace the cartilage. Um, it sounds like they're doing it as a um, procedure to try and prevent a replacement. It, you know, it doesn't always work, right? The goal is trying to avoid some type of bigger partial or total knee replacement procedure. Sometimes it doesn't work. The thing is, is a partial or total knee replacement. My patients are very functional in that, meaning you can go swimming, you can go running, you can go biking. Um, so people can be very active after a, a, a hip or knee replacement. Um, so it depends where you're at and what your next steps are. Have you ever seen joint injuries from people who took the antibiotic Leviquin? Um, not per se, but you know, any medication you take can have an effect on, um, you know, uh, and I wouldn't say an antibiotic per se, but like if you take steroids long term, you can develop something called avascular necrosis or chondral damage. Um, and, uh, there's different medications like chemotherapy agents or anti-HIV medications that sometimes induce cartilage toxicity. <clears throat> What's in the back of the knee? Okay. So here's the front of the knee. If you're looking right on it, if you look in the back of the knee, so this is the PCL ligament. There's each ligament has two bundles and this is the ACL ligament. So let me, I think if I pop the kneecap out and then you look at those ligaments as I start to flex down, you see the ACL and the PCL. So your meniscus wraps around into the back. You have a lateral and a medial meniscus and then you have your PCL, which goes to the back of the knee and up here um, to your condyle and then your ACL. So the, the meniscus, the ACL, and really the PCL is in the back of the knee. And then your fibula is way out here over to the side with your LC, LCL ligament on it. But the knee is this way. So you also, if you get way back there, like way back here, you, you're looking at your popliteal artery and your, and your uh, tibial nerve. And so you want to avoid those things. You don't want to go near those during the operation. You want to stay away. Those are, uh, stay away from um, knee replacement is robotic better and there are no studies to support that a robotic knee replacement is better than a, what's a traditional or manual instrumented knee replacement. Um, 
So the robotic knee replacement, you need a CT scan, you need extra pins in your bones, um, and uh, it may take a little bit longer. So uh, I'm only using navigation for very difficult knee replacements. Most of the time I'm not using the, uh, the robot. But uh, I really appreciate all the questions. And uh, I'm gonna try and do, this week I think I'm gonna do a lot of these, um, a lot of the streams. Um, so um, I'll try and announce them ahead of time, um, like schedule them as an event. I think that may be a little bit easier. <clears throat> How many gel shots can you get in the knee trying to hold off on a total knee replacement? There's no number, but I would say probably after you do kind of three to four sets of injections and it's not working anymore, um, then uh, you're starting to wean down and looking at doing something more permanent, um, like a replacement. I had a full knee replacement that didn't heal at the age of 47, waiting for my, uh, it sounds like left knee. Oh yeah, left knee replacement, live in the UK. Sorry to hear that, you know, if one knee didn't heal very well, um, it depends if something's going on, if it's getting loose or infected, um, you know, or if your other knee's just causing it a lot of issues. So hopefully your other, uh, hopefully your other knee go, gets better. But uh, I'll, I'll try and schedule the next live stream. And um, I appreciate all the questions. If I didn't get your questions, uh, you can drop them in the Discord channel. Uh, it's matthewharbmd.com slash links. And uh, drop a question or join the Discord. If you, put, if you drop it in there, I'll answer it. But appreciate all the support and, uh, for the channel. And I'll see you guys soon.